Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you want to speak to us. You want to encourage us. You want to help us to see some things that perhaps we've not seen before. And I pray that even as I speak, that your word speaks louder. I pray that you, by your spirit, take this word that you planted in our hearts and in our spirits and that we are able to see some things that we've not seen before, that we're able to shape our lives around your word and that we can uh, come into a whole new realm of uh, living as a uh, a man or woman of God, as a, a son or daughter of the king. And I thank you, Lord, that you do that. I pray, take my words, not uh, that people would hear those, but they hear your voice, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name this morning. Amen. This morning, uh, I'm going to continue on with a a bit of a theme that we've uh, been nailing and hitting uh, over the last couple of weeks, and that's taking it to the next level, taking it to the next level. So this is part three in that. And I want to speak specifically this morning about taking the family of God to the next level. I want to talk about taking the family of God to the next level. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it says, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ, and each one of us is a part of it. You are the church. The Bible says that uh, and uses the interspersion of church and body of Christ uh, brothers and sisters, etc., like that, in a very um, knit way. So, over the last few weeks, you've been to- he- hearing me talk about our relationships and taking them to a deeper level through fellowship. And as a church on Sundays, we are open and friendly, we do that really well. However, we need to take our relationships beyond Sunday. We need to take our relationships from Sunday into Monday, into Tuesday, and and so on throughout the rest of the week. So that when new families come along, or even you yourself who've been a part of this church for maybe years and years, so that each of us can come along and know that what we're experiencing on a Sunday is not a flash-in-the-pan experience, but somewhere that we feel that we can belong and we can invest our lives and take our relationships to a deeper level with the spiritual family that we have around about us. Let's face it, we all believe and we all want to belong somewhere. We want to know that we fit, that we are a part of something that's special, that we have people around about us that can support us and love us for who we are and can draw the best out of us from our lives. Is that a, is that a fair statement to make? I mean, that's why you know, I'm a part of this church because I believe that God's called us here because there's something that we can contribute, but it's also somewhere we can belong, somewhere we can develop our relationship with God. So what I want to do with this message is really to set a platform for the next few weeks in talking about the family of God. There's going to be some speakers that come to this platform and they're going to be speaking on the family of God. Uh, On our recent holidays, Jane and I have only just come back from uh, holidays at the beginning of, uh, of May. We spent six weeks overseas. We went on a cruise into Singapore, then we headed up to uh, England where we spent some time with family and then across into uh, to Paris and enjoyed some time there. But the most powerful memories that we have, that Jane and I have, 
are not the iconic sites. It's not the Tower Bridge or London Tower. It's not Big Ben or the Westminster Abbey. They were amazing. They were phenomenally amazing places to see. Blenheim Palace was just an amazing place to see. The grounds and the, the, the palace itself were stunning. But they weren't the most powerful thing that Jane and I had impact our lives while we were there. They were nothing compared to the memories that we have of our families. Both Jane and I come from England. Uh, We uh, both came out when we were just little tackers. I was uh, 10 years of age. Jane was nine. And we came out. We met out here. But we left behind our families in England. And we haven't been back since those times when we came out. So it's been almost 50 years since we had seen some of our families. And some of the most powerful times that we had on our holiday was not seeing the Eiffel Tower. It was with family. It was with when Jane was with her uncles and her aunties and with her cousins and their families that we had the most powerful time. Now, I didn't cry over Tower of Bridge, Tower of London, or any, but I cried when I saw Jane saying goodbye to her uncle because we don't know when we're going to go back again and we miss them already. You know, so family creates within us this incredible connection and they're powerful. Family's powerful. Families are powerful. And when I met with my nan, who's 103 years of age, 103, I sat down with my nan. And like the, in this, and I've shared this with you before, but in that nursing home where she was, and she's as fit as a fiddle, I've got to tell you, she's as sharp as a tack mentally. She's, she's switched on baby, you know what I mean? And in, in this nursing home, they have what they call this, this wishing tree on the wall. Okay, and what these, the, the uh, staff encourage the residents to do is to put up on this wishing tree something that they're believing to happen before they pass on. So my nan put up on that wall to meet me before she passed on. And she saw, she got the, the realization of that, and the, the staff there took a photo of Jane and I and my nan, and then they printed that off for her. She's got that in a frame now on a windowsill in her room where she, she is. So God's interested and loves this whole idea about family. Family is everything. In fact, God created us for a family. God wants a family. He formed us to be a part of His family. This is the big part of God's purpose for our lives, church, is to be a part of his family, a people who will love him, honor him, and reign with him forever. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, his unchanging plan. In other words, this doesn't change. This is not going to change. His plan right from the beginning has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure. Because God is love, he treasures relationships. His very nature is relational, and he identifies himself in family terms. He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? The Trinity is God's relationship to himself, and it's the perfect pattern for relational harmony in, in life. God has always existed in loving relationship to himself. He's never been lonely. One of the most important parts of the church is its family-like aspect. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15 says, I hope I can come to you soon, says Paul. But I am writing this to to you now, so that even if I cannot come soon, listen to this, you will know how people should live in the family of God. 
that family is the church of the living God. And God's church is the support and foundation of the truth. God's word helps us to identify how we as a church family, as, as the family of God, are to behave in life. How we are to treat one another. How we are to express our love for one another. How we are to support one another. How we are there to, to, to be a, a person who draws out the best in people that don't pull them down. We don't gossip about people. We actually pray for people. We can sanctify gossip by letting it stop with us and then getting down on our knees and praying for those people that others are gossiping about. Because here's the truth. If people will gossip about you, uh, sorry, to you, they will gossip about you. If people will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. So stop it. Just stop it right there. Don't let that gossip to go any further beyond you, but to, to make a decision right then to say, you know what, I'm praying for this. You don't need to tell me anymore. I'm just going to pray for this situation. Obviously, there's something happening. I don't need to know what's going on, but I'm going to pray for the people that are involved. When we place faith in Christ... God becomes our father. We become his children. Other believers become our brothers and sisters. Okay? And the church becomes our spiritual family. Everyone was created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. Do you understand that? The only way to get into God's family is by being born again. Born again. We, beget, we get born again into the family of God. We become part of a human family by our first birth, but we become a member of God's family through the second birth. And the invitation to be a part of God's family is for everyone. It's an inclusive invitation. But there's one condition, and that condition is faith in Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Christ to be the propitiation for our sins, in other words, the substitute for our sins that he took on himself, our condition, our sinful nature, and it was nailed to the cross that he died on that cross. He was buried and rose again on the third day. When we place our faith in Christ, we become born again. So that then God the Father doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees what Jesus has done and he declares us not guilty. You're not guilty. I didn't know. Did you know that? Right today, and it doesn't matter what you've done, God sees you as holy and righteous because of his grace. That's powerful. The grace of God is powerful. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ. Our spiritual family is more important than our physical family because our spiritual family lasts forever. On, uh, our families on earth are wonderful gifts from God, but they are temporary and they are fragile. They are often broken by divorce, by distance, by growing old, and inevitably by death. However, our spiritual family, our relationship to other believers will continue throughout eternity. It's a much stronger union and a more permanent bond than our blood relationships. We should not let the experiences that we've all perhaps had in life from being transferred across to our spiritual family to taint and tarnish our experiences in God's family. Can I tell you that God's family is different than your family? There are a different set of expectations. There's a different set of values in the spiritual family than there may have been in your family at home. Because there's a different dad. 
there's a different dad. The family of God is so much more than our earthly family. I'm not saying that our earthly family is unimportant. I'm simply saying that our spiritual family, there is so much more that's available to us, more than we can ever have imagined possible. Family is possibly the most attractive image describing the church. Being part of God's family comes with blessings and benefits. It also comes with challenges and expectations. We all realize how important a family is. We marry, we have kids, we raise them, and we cry when they leave home. Why? Because families are so important. They are so crucial to us as people. What does it mean to be a part of God's family? What does God's family look like or sound like? What what does it even do? Just like an earthly family, our spiritual family has things that are common to it. And we're just going to look at a couple this morning. Number one, in God's family, we all have the same father. We all have the same father. There's a, a, a guy in the, in the police department that I used to work. And he had like a hyphenated surname. And it was just a common thing to call him so-and-so two dads. You know, that's what we used to call him. And that was just because he had a hyphenated surname. So you weren't sure whether it was his first surname or his second surname that was the right one. So you just called him you know, Johnny Two Dads. Um, it wasn't a nice thing to say, but that's the reality in, in the world sometimes. We have many fathers. We have many fathers. But you know what? In God's family, there's only one. There's one father. Father God is the best father that you could ever imagine. He is the best father you will ever imagine. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 says, Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Ephesians 4 verses 5 to 6 says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and guess what? One God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. We may not have had a good father on the earth, but we have a great father now. If you're a part of the family of God, if you're a born-again believer, you have the most amazing father possible. Lisa talked about the blessings of God that are available to us because of God the Father. You have seen nothing yet. God wants to bless and increase you and to stretch you, to knock off some rough edges in your life, but he will do it so lovingly, so carefully, so, so, so amazingly well. John 1, chapter 12, sorry, chapter 1, verses 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but children born of God. There are no accidental pregnancies. There are only accidental parents. That's it. You were never a a mistake. You were never a mistake. You know, your, your, your birth is never a mistake. It may have come as a surprise to you, your parents... But it never surprised God because he planned you from the beginning of time. He thought about you. You were in the heart of God right from the beginning of time immemorial. You were there. He thought about you. 
In fact, he waited for a specific moment in time when the DNA, the DNA, the genetic material of your life, because he wanted a specific you, he waited until the, uh, the people that are in your ancestry came together at just the right moment where all of the personality, all of the abilities and the skills, your hair color, your eye color, how you'd look, your propensity towards doing different things in life, the desires of your heart. So all of those things have come together at the moment of your parents coming together and then conceiving you in birth God waited to the right moment until he had the perfect you that's an incredible plan that is an incredible plan so from the beginning of when Adam and Eve were there he's, he's before that he's thought about you and he's waited for this moment in time when all of that DNA material has come together to, to, to make a specific you and I've got to tell you you're looking good you are looking good amen Amen. Thank you, dear. <coughs> See, we've become born again. We've become new, cre- uh, new creations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that. We're now children of God, and God has become our Father. We have a new DNA, a new ancestral line, a new way of living. We have a purpose to live for. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 says, We look at this sun and see the God who can't be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. We find our purpose in God. God has created us for a purpose. When we make God the center of everything that we do, we find our purpose in life. Everything we do and say will flow out from the God who lives within us by his spirit. So what is our purpose? What is our purpose as the body of Christ the church? Well, that brings me to my second point. That in God's family, we all have the same purpose. Now, you will express this purpose in a different way than I will, but it's essentially the same purpose. God has created us for a specific purpose. We all have that same purpose. And that that is simply this, to love God and to love people. Love God and love people. 1 John 4 verse 16 says, We know how much God loves us and we have put uh, our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in uh, love live in God and God lives in them. God is love. Did you know that this morning? God is love. He doesn't just have love. He is love. You've probably heard that a thousand times. God is love. All he says and does is motivated, expressed in and done in love. If this is how our Heavenly Father is wired, then loving what he loves becomes our purpose in life. So what does God love? God loves people. God loves people. So our job, our purpose in life is to carry on what the Father's heart is. To love people. No matter what they look like. No matter what they sound like. No matter if they tick us off. No matter if they cut us off in traffic. We've got to love them. We've got to love them. The people that rub you up the wrong way, love them. This is a freebie. hope I can find it.
But to you who are listening, I say, and this is Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, are you listening this morning? Are you listening this morning? Hello, Earth Calling Church. Are you listening this morning? Okay. But to you who are listening, I say, and this is Jesus speaking because it's in red. Okay, we're talking about what, loving what Jesus loves, loving what God loves, loving what the Father loves. God says, Jesus says, love your enemies. See, it's a direct message from God. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you across the face, turn to them the other side also and give them a free shot at the left side. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do it to others as you would have them do to you. See, here's the thing. When we went to Paris... We went across on the Eurostar from London right through into the centre of Paris. We got off of our train in Paris and we thought, you know what, we don't know the bus system, we don't know how to get to our hotel from the, uh, the railway station where we're going to do, we were going to catch a taxi. Okay, so we lined up waiting for a taxi to free and we got pointed to a taxi, we hop in the taxi. Now I almost hopped in the wrong side because they are like, they're weird over there. They've got the car, like it drives on the wrong side of the road and their steering wheel is not on the right hand side, it's on the left hand side. So the, the taxi driver's opened up his door to get in himself. He's already opened up the, wife, uh, the door for Jane. So Jane's got in. I'm thinking, oh, he's opened up the door for me so I can get in the passenger seat. I'm looking there and there's a steering wheel. I thought, I, I don't belong here. Okay. And they were laughing at me. They were. Everyone in the line was like, you see that guy? You know, obviously from Australia. So he, he gets in the car. I bolt around the other side. I didn't want him leaving, like flogging off with my wife. So I've, I've got in the, in the other side of the car and uh, we get in the, in, in the, in the car and uh, he, he, he sets off. He knows where we're going to so this particular hotel. And I said, uh, so uh, like, is there a meter running? Or what? He says, no, there's a set fee today because it's a, a public holiday in Paris. So it's 85 euros for us to get from a train station to our hotel, which is about a half an hour drive to get to the other side of, of Paris. So uh, I'm thinking, there's something wrong here. There's something that doesn't, doesn't ring right. Okay, and I'm, there's a couple other thing, indicators that were going on. They're like, the streets were buzzing. It was absolutely flat out everywhere. And I'm thinking, okay, there might be a public holiday because there's a lot of people, but there's a lot of shops open too. Like in, in Australia, public holidays, shop, shops close. Okay? That's just the way we are. So there's some stuff that I wasn't happy with. You know? So we get to the destination of our hotel. I hand over the 85 euros. We go in, book in at a hotel. One of the first questions I ask the hotel clerk, is this a public holiday in Paris today? She said, no, it was yesterday. I've just been ripped off. Okay, so it should have cost me around about 35 euros. So I've paid 50 euros above. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, okay? I am not going to live my life and allow that guy to rip me off. What I've done, and I, I, I struggled with this for over 24 hours because it ticked me that I'd been ripped off, Okay. But I struggle with this. But I, I said to Jane, the fight's now on that I'm not going to be ripped off. I'm going to bless. Yeah. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to bless those who've despitefully used me. 
He tried to rip me off, but he can't rip me off. I'm a born-again believer. I'm a child of God. I'm going to bless that man with 50 euros, and I pray that it blesses the socks off of him. I'd love to buy him some new socks if, I'm, if I met him again. No, I wouldn't. But do you understand what I'm saying? If this, if this passage is true, this is how we treat not just the family of God, but because we've got a new nature, uh, we've got a dad who loves people, this is how we now treat our enemies. No one can ever steal from you. You're actually going to give them what they've tried to steal from you. That's a real challenge. Because what they've stolen from you was really, really important to you. See? It's, it's, a, it's a shift in our mindset. See, this is the challenge in being a part of the family of God. It's not all roses and chocolate. There's some thorns that you need to work out of your skin. You know, this is, this is something that you know, gets to us all. Trust me, my justice meter is, is pretty significantly high when you get ripped off by a taxi driver. It took me over 24 hours to get some peace on that. I lost sleep over it. Because in my mind, I'm saying, you can't rip me off. I'm going to bless you. That money is yours. I bless you with it. Oh, Lord, I'd love to do something with it. But that was the mental g- gymnastics I was going on in my head. Anyhow. So, God loves people. Love should be our top priority, our primary objective and our greatest ambition. Love is not a good part of our life. It's the most important part of our life. We've got to love the people around about us. Could I just ask a favor, please? Can we have those back doors open? Because it's quite warm and a bit stuffy in here. So and I don't want anyone nodding off because this is the, the moment of your breakthrough. This is the moment God's going to speak to you about loving people around about. So that's cool. So love is not a, a good part of our life. It's the most important part. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses, verse 1a says, Let love be your greatest aim. Okay, It's not enough to say... It's one of the things I want to be is loving, like it's on the top 10 of our list. Relationships must have priority in our life above everything else. Why is that? Because life without love is really worthless. And Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, where he says, No matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Often we act as if relationships are something that's to be squeezed into our schedule. We talk about finding time for our kids or making people room for people in our lives. That gives the impression that relationships are just a part of our lives along with the many other tasks that we do. But God says relationships are what life is all about. Four of the ten commandments in Exodus deal with our relationship with God, while the other six deal with our relationships with people. But all ten are about relationship. Our purpose, the purpose of the family of God, can be summed up by simply saying, loving God and loving people. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40 says, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Everything about the word of God, everything the prophet said, is based upon those two commandments. When our lives have God at the center, everything else about our lives flows from God, from his love. When we discover what God loves, our purpose becomes so much clearer. What else does God love? God loves the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It gives us a good reason 
to win the lost because God loves them. What else does God love? God loves a cheerful giver. I was not cheerful about my taxi driver. I was 24 hours later because God had done something in me. It wasn't about the taxi driver. God was showing something in me that there was something that wasn't right with his character and his nature. God will deal with the taxi driver better than I ever could. And I pray that God saves that young man and blesses his life. But God was doing something in me. It's great to be a cheerful. God loves a cheerful gift. I'm cheerful about giving that guy that 50 bucks now or the 50 euros now. We've got to do that. You see, it gives us a good reason to be generous. See, God loves justice. <laughs> For the Lord is righteous. I had to bring in this straight after this point because I thought, God, I'm just going to remind you about your justice. Okay? Especially about taxi drivers. Okay? Uh, the, the Lord loves justice. Upright men will see his face. It's a good reason to be honest and real with ourselves and with others. God loves the righteous. In Psalm 146 verse 8, he says the Lord loves the righteous. It's a good reason to pursue holiness. God loves Christians. Aren't you glad about that? I bet you came this morning thinking, gee, I'm glad he got to the point. God loves Christians. John 16 verse 27, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. It gives us a good reason to be thankful for God's family and to be vitally connected with it. Yeah. See, what else does God love? God loves non-Christians. In uh, Romans 5.8 it says, But God demonstrates his love, own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were non-Christians, while our back was turned to God, while we were in the midst of our deepest, darkest sinful habits and, and, and behaviors, God still loved us. He died for us. And that gives us a great reason to build relationships with those who don't know Jesus. People say to you when you get saved that, you know, if you uh, uh, don't go to the hotel or don't go to this place, don't go to that place, how are they going to find out about Jesus if we're not there? If you go to the hotel, just be wise about what you do. Don't get smashed. Just enjoy the meal. Another subject. I'll leave that one alone. What else does God like? God loves those who love him. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him. Gives us a good reason to please God. What else does he do? He loves those who obey his commands. Though it's the same passage. He lavishes his unfailing love on those who obey his commands. It's a good reason to be obedient. What else does he love? He loves those who pursue godliness. He loves those who pursue godliness. It's a good reason to be like Jesus so others can see Jesus. God loves those who fear him. His unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Gives us a good reason to worship him and point others to Jesus in that midst as well. Everything that God loves revolves around us and how we relate to those around, uh, around us as well. It's all about relationships. It's all about family. There's other things that, God, that the family of God has. The, the, God's families, we all have the same values. 
Our values should come from the Word of God. We have the same values. We have the same attitudes. Paul says, have the, uh, have the attitude of Christ, who, though he was God himself, thought it nothing to come to the earth and serve mankind and to reveal God to mankind. We've got the same values. We've got the same attitudes. We've got the same access to God's power by his Holy Spirit. We've got the same challenges in life. You and I have got the same challenges. They may be on different wavelengths and happening in different ways, but each of us has probably dealt with betrayal. Each of us has probably dealt with rejection. Each of us has dealt with, with wounds and, 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 and horrible things happening to us. Each of us may not have, have had a taxi driver rip us off, but someone's ripped you off. I could, yeah, I taxi drivers, praise God for them. Lord, do something with them. What am I saying in all this? What am I saying in this? Listen to this. Simply because I want to hear my Father in heaven say of infused church that we are a church after his own heart. That's what I want to hear God the Father say about us. That's what I want him to say about my life. Is that Gary is a man after my own heart. That so and so, you can put the, your, your name in there. That you are a person that's after God's heart. You're created, you've got a heart after God. Acts 13.22 says that. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David and a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, that he will do everything I want him to do. See, in other words, what God was saying is this. In, the, in David, he found a person who cared about the things that God cared about. Yeah. That's what the family of God does. We care about the things that God cares about. The family of God should love the things that God loves. The family of God should care about the things that God cares about. God loves people, so relationships become our priority after worshipping God. Loving people is an act of worship. We build relationship with other believers through being real, being vulnerable, being inclusive and supportive. God cares about his children becoming more like Jesus. So therefore, we need to care about becoming more like Jesus ourselves, devoting ourselves, like the early New Testament church, to humbly follow in Jesus' footsteps and modelling our lives on his. In those, it's in these relationships that we help others to relate to the family of God, how to be a friend and how to make a friend. God cares about serving the people around about us, Christians and non-Christians. We need to ensure that we're a, a, a church that serves. I'm not here to serve my own interests. I serve by just getting in there and doing stuff. We should all do that. We need to embrace our shape, the spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality and experiences that we have so that we can serve our, uh, uh, the, the family of God and the community as well. God cares about the lost. Jesus sent uh, Jesus to make a way of restoring God's original intent for mankind, being in relationship with God the Father. And as a church family, we are called to engage with our, our community to see them come into a life-giving relationship with God. We need to take a long, good, hard look at ourselves and realize that just as much as our mission field is outside those church doors right there that have a look around in here, that just as much as we're in here with the family of God, our mission field is in here too. We are called to be relational and to be a part of the family of God together. Together. 
Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The, the word especially means specifically, particularly, to, to do good to the family of believers. The family of God, that's our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, they're all people that we are called to worship alongside of, to love, to equip, to minister alongside of and go out into our community with together. God sent Jesus to make a way to expand the family of God. In Ephesians 5.25 it says, Husbands are to love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. It's about family. It's about family. We pray the hardest and most fervent prayers when our family's in trouble. We, we go above and beyond to help and to give when the family is hurting. We have our best parties and celebrations when the family wins. Our greatest challenges and pain comes often through our family. Our greatest moments of triumph come through our family. God's family is the greatest family that there is. Take a look around. Right now, just take a moment. I want you to look around in front, beside you, behind you. I want you to specifically look around at the people that you're sitting around. Look behind you. Don't want them to miss out. Okay? Welcome to your family. Welcome to your family. This is your family. This is the people that you're called to serve with. This is the people that you're called to love. These are the people that you're called to help to equip. These are the people that you're to go out into the community with and to see people one for Jesus. Look around. In a moment as we close the service, as the team come up. In a moment, what will you do? Will you get up out of your chair, say that was a great service, and then beeline the door? Or will you linger for a moment and take an opportunity to open up your heart just a little bit? To open up your life just a little bit more to the people that are around about you and say, I'm so glad I came today because I get to meet you. This is about us as the family of God taking our relationships to a deeper level through fellowship. This is one of the purposes that we're going to live for as a church. We are going to deep, deepen our relationships together. And as more people come to the church, as more people find out, this is a place where you can be loved unconditionally, warts and all. Because tell you what, I've got some warts. I've got some stuff that I'm not proud of in my life. And by the grace of God, he brings along a taxi driver. <laughs> I'm going to get healing over this, trust me. I can joke about it because I have made my peace with this. Honestly, I really have. I do not harbor one bit of malice to that young man. In fact, I was glad that I could actually bless him. I mean, what causes a man to try to rip others off if he didn't need it? There's something happening in his world that he feels that he has the need to do that. Who else in our world, who else in our world needs to, us to love them and to open our lives to them? Who else needs to hear the words I'm so glad you're in my life. That's why our connect groups are so important. That's why Sunday services are so important. Because it's where we hear the truth. Where else are you going to hear the truth? People will just tell you what they want you to hear or what might flatter your ears. 
here, I'll guarantee you, I will speak to the truth, the truth to you. I'll open up my own life and I'll tell you about my own struggles because that's who I am. What you see is what you get. And I would encourage you today, as we stand, let's stand together. It's not by chance that you're here to hear this message this morning. God wanted to say something to you. The family of God is so important. The family of God is so important. The family of God is so important. It's a place of love. It's a place of support. It's a place of strength. It's a place of care. And sometimes, yes, it hurts. Sometimes, yes, there are challenges. But as the family of God, surely we can work those things out. Surely we can come together and say, you know what? I love you. I care about you. And I want to spend eternity with you, not from you. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person that's here today. I thank you for your hand upon them. I thank you that they are a part of your family. I thank you that you speak to us all about opening our lives just a little bit more to the people around about us. Maybe just taking a step of faith and saying, you know what, how about we catch up for a coffee? How about, would you love to come around for a meal? Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? You know, I just see that you're struggling. How about I just give you a phone call? How about serving together? How about giving together? How about reaching out together? Just do one thing this week. Just do one. Holy Spirit, help people to to identify what it is that you want us to do this week and then have the courage to do it. Father, I thank you for your people today. Thank you for your people today. Just while every head's bowed, every eye closed, I don't know everybody here this morning. I don't know where you stand in so far as eternity is concerned. I don't know whether you have faith in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I don't know if you are born again. But I can't move forward and talk about the family of God without giving you an opportunity to become a part of it. So this morning, if you're not sure that you're a part of the family of God, you've never like, opened up your heart in faith to Jesus Christ, You've never said, God, I thank you that you died for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe in what this man's saying at the front. I want to believe. Would you make me a part of your family this morning? If you're in that position, you just want to pray that genuinely. I just ask you to put your hand up nice and tall because I want to pray for you. So I know who I'm praying for. That's all I'm asking you to put your hand up for. So are you going to put your hand up this morning? Just ask God. Just to give you a pointer in the direction of being a part of the family of God. Anyone here? Just put your hand up nice and tall so that I can see it. Anyone at all? Lord, I thank you for your people today. I ask you to bless them, to encourage them in the wonderful name of Jesus this morning. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.